Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is a message from our Reveal the Zeal series at Youth. Hope you enjoy. To reveal the zeal. The first week we looked at the title of the message was This is Real. And we talked about the fact that encounter is way greater than experience. That you don't have to know it all before you can start doing what God's called you to do. And then the second week, Maddie preached and she talked about the call. And the fact that you need you plus God plus your zeal in order to walk out your call. And that was amazing. And tonight, I want to continue Reveal the Zeal with the next story. Listen, do you understand that the moment you come to Young Zeal and, and decide this is my youth, it stops becoming about you? The moment you say, Young Zeal is my youth ministry, this is my home, it actually stops existing for you. And it continues to exist for other people like you. It starts to exist for those who don't yet know what we know. And not just what we know, but who we know. Young Zeal doesn't exist for the people in this room. It exists for those out there that don't yet know Jesus. Your friends, your school, your skate park. The Grand Plaza, it exists for the young people who are there now, who are in a hopeless place. But here we are. But this isn't for us. It is for them. We're going to open up the Bible right now to the book of Acts. Chapter 4. It says this in Acts 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles' teaching and the people, teaching the people, proclaiming, someone say proclaiming, proclaiming. in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men and women who believed grew to about 5,000. Verse 5 says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And in us, the, the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to count today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Who's thankful we serve a risen God tonight? We don't serve a God that's still in a grave somewhere, but who is on high and coming again. That man... This man that stands before you is healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected by which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Someone say, no one else is coming. Verse 13 says, then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were homeschooled. I mean, unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. Don't lose it back there. Yeah, don't lose it. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together by, uh, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem, Browns Plains, knows that they have performed a notable sign. And we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. Then they called again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you, order him. You be the judges. And then verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The title of the message tonight is This is Wild. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are here tonight, that you are good. You weren't still stuck in a grave somewhere, but you are alive, living on the inside. Lord, and you don't want us to have a quiet faith or a tame faith, but you want us to have a wild faith tonight. Lord, we love you. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, there, there are two types of people in the world. There are two types of people, Harrison. You might want to just, yeah. There are two types of people in the world, okay? There is one type of person who is an original chicken person. This music isn't going to match my story, that's okay. There is, thank you. There's an original chicken person, and then there is... A hot and spicy person. Can I see a show of hands? Who here is just an OG, original? Give me them 11 herbs and that's it. Hands up. Okay. All right, put your hands down, you losers. All right, hands up if you are a hot and spicy all day, every day. Hot and spicy. If you you get the bucket and it's like five-piece original, five-piece hot and spicy, you're going back because you want it all hot and spicy. There's some of those people that separates the classes of people. Oh, you want to go KFC? Yeah, sure. And then you get, then that person gets original recipe and you're like, we can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry, goodbye. And you leave them forever. This reminds me of a story. A few years ago, I was in Nepal with Jeremy, my old youth pastor. And and we were in this restaurant. We had met some guys and they're like, oh, can't they own the hotel and the restaurant underneath? And said, come for come for um, dinner tonight. So we got there, we rolled in. We didn't really know who these people were, but we, we walked in and they had this, set up this giant table. It was just me and one other, me, just us two. This big table and they, the two restaurant owners had brought their families and there was this giant feast and there was like waiters there and it was like just us. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on Downton Abbey. This is awesome. A, a Nepalese Downton Abbey. That would be a great TV show. And so we're sitting there and we're getting served and it's like one of the waiters name was Kieran, irrelevant to my story. Anyway, the, the dinner, the, the night went on and um, I asked them, oh, bring me out your most spiciest dish. I said, bring me out like your number one, like the, the top killer, you know, of a dish. I want to taste your spice. And I like kind of like a bit of spice in my food. So I'm like, sweet, it's going to be good. So I bring it out and I start eating it and it was fine. I'm like, this is like not so bad. I thought that to myself for about five to eight seconds when suddenly there was almost like a rush of internal sadness 
rushed through my tongue, down my throat and into my nostrils. And it was like this insane burning sensation like I have never experienced in my life. Like I felt like that girl who ate the chili at Tribal Wars and was on the couch with her eyes on fire. Like I felt like that person's right here, I think. And like, that's who I felt like. I felt like I had just eaten a whole chili farm in one sitting. It was the most insane, terrible moment in my entire life. And I asked them, I'm like, what? Why is it so spicy? And they're like, well, you asked for the most spiciest dish on the menu. And they started talking to me as I died in my chair silently with all the moisture in my body being evaporated and I ended up being a prune in my seat. I, they, they started to talk to me and saying that, you know, if it's not spicy in our court, like it's actually not any good. They're like, if it's not like hot, if it's just like a mild flavor, if it's just a tame flavor, like you can handle, it's actually considered not very good at all. It's actually considered like a bad food. Like, where's the spice? Where's the heat? Like, why isn't this? Why is this so mild? And they would send the food back if it wasn't, you know, if it was too mild. And, and I started thinking about this as I began to rehydrate myself over the next several years. And I thought to myself, isn't that exactly the same as our faith? That's, that's exactly the same as our faith. Listen to this and write this down. A tame faith is a lame faith. We're not called to be, we're called to be wild and not mild. It's so true that we are called to have a faith that isn't tame, that isn't mild, that, is, that isn't like original recipe. We're called to have like a hot and spicy, wild faith. Something that is so off the charts, something that is so insane that we can't even express or explain. We're called to have a faith that isn't mild, but that is wild. This is wild. You know, we're called to have a faith that isn't a secret, that isn't hidden. We're not called to have a faith that is just me and Jesus. You know, you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, yes, but you don't have a private relationship with Jesus. If you've got a private relationship with Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus because he is always calling us to be public about our relationship with him. It can be personal, it's you and him, yes and absolutely, but it can't just be you two, it has to be public. And so Peter and John in our story represent this so well to us, the fact that we're not called to have this private, tame, lame faith, but one that is wild. We're called to reveal the zeal. To reveal means to make known to others. To make known to others. We're called to reveal our zeal, our energy, and our enthusiasm for Jesus. So we're called to reveal, aka make known to others, our energy and enthusiasm for Jesus, our life for Him, the fact that we've decided to follow Him with our life. We're called not to keep that to ourselves, but to stand up on the rooftops and say, Jesus, I've got a passion for Him. We're called to have a public relationship with Jesus. Peter and John, they had this opportunity. And in our story, we're going to pull out three things that happened as they did that. The first point is this. When they revealed their zeal, they faced confrontation. They faced confrontation. 
It says here, the priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter while they were speaking. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. They were just out there preaching about Jesus. They had just healed somebody in the name of Jesus. A lame man who couldn't walk could suddenly walk. And instead of saying, yeah, we did this, they're like, it wasn't us. It was Jesus. And they started preaching and speaking and sharing with the people around them about Jesus and who he was and what he did and, and what happened when he rose from the, from the dead. And, 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 and they began preaching and preaching until the people who were used to be the teachers, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was their job to be the teachers about God. And so Suddenly these two unschooled ordinary guys roll in, start speaking, and everyone starts listening to them. They start getting jealous over here, and they decide, well, let's just put them in jail and deal what to figure out what to do with them in the morning. Their only defense, the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, was to take them captive and put them in jail. They could because they couldn't stop them in public. Like they couldn't actually shut them up. That's why they had to put them in jail to get them away from the people. Because they couldn't actually come, and even if they tried to, like, oh, shh, quiet, like, quiet, like, you know, stop that. Like, they couldn't stop them, so they're like, oh, we'll just throw them in jail. Imagine if that was us at school. We're like just sharing with our friend over our sandwich that's cut unevenly, and we're just like, you know, Jesus did this thing, and suddenly, like, you know, the school police come, the principal, and he just comes and, like, starts shutting you down and throws you into detention, like, all day and all night to figure out what to do with you in the morning. That'd be kind of fun, actually, if you ask me. That's all they could do was throw them in jail. And if your life is swaying other people and and encouraging them to follow Jesus, if your life is causing trouble for the devil, if your life is actually causing people to think about Jesus and encounter him, can I tell you, you're going to face confrontation. You are going to. Why? Because when you are swaying people towards Jesus, that is in direct competition to the plans that the enemy has for that person. Like when you start to become an influence in your school and saying, I'm standing up for Jesus, you actually start working against what the enemy's trying to do in your school. And don't think for a second that he's just going to sit by and, and not confront you when you start completing the mission and fulfilling your calling. The, the enemy will try to use confrontation to contain what God's doing through your life. He will use confrontation to try and shut you up, to try and quiet you down and contain what God is doing in your life. Um, the challenges of faith, these guys, they came while they were speaking to the people of Jesus. And we can face opposition. We can face confrontation. And listen, even while we're doing what God called us to do, we'll face confrontation. Like, we should be thinking, well, God, I'm doing everything you asked me to do. Why is it so hard? Why, Why am I facing all this pushback about my faith? I'm doing what you said. Why is that person hating on me? Like, I'm doing it. Shouldn't things be getting better and easier? But confrontation doesn't come at the most desired time. The enemy's not just going to wait for you to get your, your two-hour prayer on in the morning and you've read half the Bible before you get to school and you're all prayed up and G'd up. You've got your boxing gloves on to smash the devil out of your school and saying, let's go, devil, one-on-one, you and me. He's not waiting for that moment because he fights unfair. He's going to wait till your lowest moment, till you're most discouraged, till you've had about 3.5 and a half people say, I don't want to like hear that. He's going to wait until you're at your lowest when you've got your gloves off, you're at home, you're tired. He's going to wait for that moment to come after you and say, what are you doing? Yeah. 
This is useless. And he'll begin to confront you in order to contain you. But we've got to be in that moment where we say, it doesn't matter what time of the day, it doesn't matter how I feel, I'm not being backing down, I'm going hardcore for Jesus. Yes. Amen, anyone? Yeah. You can mm-mm any time. Here's the thing, don't be dis- get discouraged when you face confrontation. Who's ever felt confronted in their faith? I remember once in high school when I first came to Jesus and my friends who had been friends a long time, they began saying things like this, Who's ever heard someone say this to them? You've changed. You've changed. You've changed. Like you're not as cool anymore as you used to be. You're not. You're not. You don't do as many fun things as you used to be. You you don't like laugh at the same jokes as you. Like you've changed. You think you're too good for us. That's the sort of words I began getting in year eleven, two thousand nine, ten years ago. They're the sort of words that used to come and I used to get confronted and, and I remember once I was preaching in chapel. It was the most horrible sermon I ever preached and, uh, and I was speaking and afterwards some people were like, oh, that was good, Karen, well done. But then other people were like, who do you, like, who do you think you are? And there was this confrontational time in my life. But can I tell you, do not be discouraged when you face confrontation because I've got good news for you. Confrontation doesn't contaminate your call. Confrontation actually confirms your call. If you're not being confronted, I'm telling you, you're not doing enough. You're not being out there enough. You're not being public enough with your faith. Because confrontation doesn't stop your call. It actually confirms it. These guys weren't getting thrown in jail because they were just sitting around doing nothing. They were being confronted and persecuted because they were actually stepping out and doing something for God. So don't think that confrontation isn't going to come. It's going to come. But here's the other good news about this. The confrontation of men is actually a commendation of God. I'll say that again. The confrontation from your friends, is actually becomes at the same time a commendation from God. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, blessed are you when people persecute you. So when people actually confront you and persecute you, make fun of you, you know, don't talk to you, when they actually do things negatively towards you, that's actually God saying, I'm, bless you, man. You're so awesome. There's something good coming your way. Blessed are you because people persecute you because of me. Like there is something coming for you. Here's the thing. Confrontation. The reason why, why you're able to handle confrontation is because you've gone through transformation. That's point number two. The reason you can handle the confrontation is because you've been through a transformation. The Bible says in verse 8 that then Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would they just add in these extra couple of lines? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, that's good. Like, we know that. But why was it in that moment? This is Acts. So this is Luke speaking, writing. He, why would Luke include the fact that small little part saying he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, we already know that. Listen, the reason that you can go through the confrontation is because you've been through transformation. What's just happened? Peter is about to stand up and start confronting everybody. He's confronting the confronter. And he's beginning to say, oh, you did this and you did that. And Jesus is the way and you guys are lies and hypocrites. And he just starts shots fired all over the place. But my thought when I was reading this was, is this the same Peter? 
Like, is this the same Peter who denied Jesus three times that he didn't even know him? How is this the same Peter that swears at a little girl by a fire saying, I don't even know that guy, you flippin', floppin', frickety frick frack little girl, that how do I even... He starts like denying Jesus to a little girl in, in this scene. And then in this scene, he's standing up in front of not just a little girl, but the very people who crucified Jesus saying, you guys are the one that killed him and I'm his disciple and I work in his name. And what happened? Where was that transformation take place? It's because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was able to stand up there and face the confrontation and confront them back with the gospel because he had been through transformation. You cannot have a hope in the world to be able to actually stand up to the things that are coming your way if you don't have an encounter with Jesus. A few weeks earlier, what happened for Peter? The Bible says in Acts 2, Acts 2, Verse 2 to 4 in the Passion, it says, On the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place, and suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering. This is a transformational moment. This is an encounter moment that anyone, it was so strong that anyone could bear. Verse 3 says, Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes and it separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were, they were all filled and equipped. Jesus wants to fill you and equip you to face the things that you're going to face in life with the Holy Spirit. And they were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. This was a transformational moment of power that would enable Peter to go from cowering and hiding and denying Jesus in his faith and, and, and having that lame, tame faith that is, that is mild and not... That, that, that took Peter from being this little wimp of a person to standing up in who he is, to, to, to healing a lame man in Jesus' name and then getting thrown in prison and standing up for his faith because... He was able to face the confrontation, not because he had a tame faith, but because he had a wild faith. We can't be Christians who say, I'm just, I'm just mellow. I'm just mild. No, we've got to say, I'm wild. I'm running wild, as Libby preached a few weeks ago so awesomely. We're called not just to be quiet and lame, but actually to stand up in Jesus' name. You can handle the confrontation when you've been through the transformation. And it also empowers you for point three, proclamation. Listen, the passion that we have for Jesus is like a fire inside of us. It's like a fire inside of us. In fact, Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, he said this in 20 verse nine, he said, his word, God's word, his presence, who he is, it's on the inside of me. And he's trying to describe the words. He says, it's in me like, it feels like a fire inside of me. And he says, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones. And he says, I've even tried to keep it in, but I couldn't. 
This fire inside of me is so explosive, so aggressive, so outgoing, so empowering. It's so outwardly focused. This fire cannot be contained. This fire inside of me is so strong, so powerful. No body, no person, no situation or confrontation is going to hold back the power and the fire inside of me. We're called not to put a lid on it, but to take the lid off and say, reveal the zeal. The fire in me is greater than the enemy's plans against me. That's the enemy's plan is to put a lid on it, to put a lid of shame, to put a lid of embarrassment, to put a lid of anxiety, to put a lid of self-worth issues, to put a lid of sin and addiction. The enemy's plan is to put a lid on it. And how many know what happens when you put a lid on a fire? Goes out. We're not called to, to, to hide it. Jesus also said it like this. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No one lights something that's supposed to give light to the whole house, but then they just go and hide it. What's the point of lighting it? He says, no, they don't put it under the basket. They actually put it on a stand up high so that the whole house can see. Are you under a basket tonight in your faith? Are you on fire for God, but no one knows about it? You're just under the basket of young zeal? Or you're just under the basket of your, this is my small group of friends? Or you're just under the basket of, I don't want to embarrass myself? That Jesus says, if you'll stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. God's got your back. The power of God needs to be so explosive in us that we don't hold it back, but rather... We proclaim it. The enemy's plan is to keep it in. God's plan is to get it out. He wants you to keep in that word of encouragement. He wants to keep in that that word where you can encourage someone or bless someone or share about Jesus. He wants to zip you up. But we're called to rip it open, man. To let that thing loose. To say, I'm not being contained. I'm not being kept quiet. I'm called to reveal the zeal. This passion you put in me, I'm not holding it in any longer. I'm called to let it come out proclaiming Jesus' name. Don't domesticate your fire. The presence of God isn't found in a building or a Bible, but it's found in our bodies. Not first at first in Jesus' body as he walked the earth, but when he left and he sent the Holy Spirit into our bodies, the presence of God, the fire of God, who we are and what we're called to do. Jesus is in us. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to suffocate your flame with the pains and the problems, the confrontation, the anxiety, the losing of friends, the heartbreak, the backstabbing, the fear, the insecurity. These things are called life. That's life. It sucks. But don't let life put out your fire. Let it propel you closer to Jesus. When things go wrong all around you, use that as an opportunity. It's hard, I'm not going to lie, to actually propel the fire of God. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal. Like never. So youth's over, never be lacking in zeal. You go home in your bed, never be lacking in zeal. Just buzz it, man. You're in your bed like, mmm, like a... 
When you go to school, never be lacking in zeal. When you're in the middle of a fight with your best friend, never be lacking in zeal. When you've just sinned and you just messed up and you wish you didn't, in that moment, never be lacking in zeal. Don't take three and a half weeks and ten times on the altar to come back to God. Come back to God in that one moment. He is there. He is ready. He is waiting. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep that spiritual grit amount of, like inside of you, that like toughness of soul, that, that meanness of spirit in a good way that says, I'm not just going to let this little thing that happened, this confrontation destroy me today. I'm actually going to have some fervor, some, some, some grit about my faith that it does. It's not just going to take a little, oh, a little thing that happened to actually put me out. I'm going to propel this thing. We need to have the attitude that says I can't stop and I won't stop. I can't stop. His word is in me. And it's like a fire in my bones. I try to keep it in, but I can't. I, even if I tried to, I couldn't. We're called to have wild fire faith. Not contained, not kept quiet. You know the fire in the Amazon? The Amazon's burning. One of the biggest fires it's ever seen. And it's burning. It's, people don't know how to put it out. But that fire, at one point, was just a flame. It was just an unkept little flame. It started small, but the potential it had when it wasn't contained is doing a devastation in the Amazon today. But it's the same thing with your faith. I don't care if you, you don't have to be like Jesus's big brother to be like, you know, the most greatest Christian of all history. Like, I'm not asking you to be Billy Graham. I'm just saying, whatever the size of your fire is, that's awesome, man. If you've just got this little flame, just like, this is my passion for God. You know what I want to say to you? That is amazing. My one thing I want to ask you, and I feel like Jesus is saying is, don't contain it. Like, whatever size it is, don't go and build things around it. Don't put rocks and sand and try and contain it in like a candle. Whatever the size of your flame is, just let it be. And start getting close to other people. Start getting around situations. Start letting your fire catch on to other people. I'll tell you soon, your little flame, the potential of a small flame. If I had a candle here and it was burning, if it was in the right environment and it wasn't contained, that little flame would have the potential to burn this building to the ground. You might have a little flame or a medium-sized flame or whatever the size of flame you have, just don't contain it. Because when you contain it, you limit the potential to cause devastation against the kingdom of darkness. We want our flame to burn so bright, so, so far and so wide that it actually begins to destroy the things the enemy is doing. The potential is gone as long as it stays contained. But if this thing ever got out... If your flame, your fire ever got out, it could do some serious damage. What if God put in you ever got out? What if what God put inside of you ever got out and became a bit wild, a little out of control? What could happen in your world? 